Well, today we're going to conclude our look at the book of James. And as we've explored this, we've discovered it's a very, very practical book. It gives us clear instructions about how to live out our faith. And here in the closing part of James, he's giving some very practical instruction about what prayer is all about. Now, we looked last week at the first part of this. We, we looked at, is anyone troubled or is anyone suffering? Let them pray. And we, we explored that ultimately, we need to view our trials, our difficulties, our testing as invitations to intimacy with God. That they are an opportunity for us to draw closer. The context of everything that is said here is found back in James chapter 4, verse 8, where he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We, we can't separate that part out from this passage because that is ultimately what he's explaining. Um, so we, we saw that suffering can be an invitation to intimacy. But also we saw, as we explored some last week, that our praise is the doorway into God's presence. That's why worship and praise is so vitally important, is it brings us right into the very presence, the very throne room of God. Well, today we're going to explore some of what this passage has to say. There's some practical instruction that may be unfamiliar to some of you, um, but its ultimate goal, its ultimate focus is to guide us back into the purpose of prayer in the first place. So uh, here's, here's how we're going to do it. I want you to get out your phone, um, as long as you promise not to play solitaire while, during the sermon, okay? Any other game is fine, just not solitaire. Get out your, get out your phone, and I want to ask you a really simple question. What is the purpose of this device? Lots of, lots, okay, what was its, you're right, it is lots of things. What was its original purpose? What was the design for this device? Communications, yeah, to, what kind of communications? Phone calls. It, you know what, this morning I looked on my phone under the usage portion, and I've discovered I use this device exactly 7% of the time to make a phone call. Now, it does all kinds of other communications with FaceTime and messaging and mail and SMS and all those kind of things, which are natural outgrowths of, of its purpose for communicating. But I also looked, and that wasn't necessarily the majority of the time that I spent on the phone. It was other things, which in my case happened to be a lot more solitaire, which is why I said don't, don't play it while I'm preaching here because I don't want you to be guilty of my own problem. Um, but it's interesting when you think about it, its purpose was to communicate, and yet oftentimes we don't use it that much for that. The same thing is true when it comes to prayer. God gave us prayer with a very specific purpose. That purpose, I believe with all my heart, is twofold. Number one, to know God, and number two, to make him known. James, as I mentioned in chapter 4, verse 8, says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He then explains that through the rest of chapter 4 and, and coming back into chapter 5 
of understanding that ultimately that is the key purpose of prayer is for us to know God. God has given us his holy inspired word to communicate his truth with us. And he has given us this incredible device called prayer to be able to communicate back with him and to listen to him so that we can know him. God wants us to know him intimately. Now, if that is the primary purpose of prayer, then I want us to, be, to take a moment and do an inventory of our own prayer life and ask the honest question, how much of my prayer time is focused on knowing God and making him known? And how much of it is focused on me? When I look at the usage report of my prayer, I discover that so much of it is self-focused. And it's missing its purpose. And because it's missing its purpose, it misses the power that God intended for us to experience in and through our prayer life. When he makes here in this passage the illustration of Elijah and says he's just like us, he say, what he's pointing us to is to point us back to the purpose of Elijah's prayers. Now, I'm going to go out of order here because I'm probably going to do a lot of editing on the fly. But oftentimes when I hear this passage of scripture preached, we address the last two verses as if they're a footnote. Let me read them to you again. My brothers and my sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. Now, when we're reading that in English, it seems like it's a change of subject, but it is not. James is illustrating the very purpose of Elijah's prayers. This is what made his prayers so powerful is because that is what he prayed about all the time. That's what drove his prayer life. Elijah was one who understood that the purpose of prayer was to know God personally and intimately and to make God known to others. So that's the one thing I want you to grab a hold of. If you miss everything else that we explore today, grab a hold of that purpose. That's why prayer exists. Now, to illustrate this, I want you to, uh, to look at Jesus himself. What was the purpose in Jesus coming to earth? What does the Bible tell us about it? Well, Jesus came to do a lot of things for us. He certainly came to live a perfect, sinless life, absolutely holy and perfect, because he is both God and man, and he's the only one who could ever live a perfect life. Jesus came to give his life as a payment for our sin. He died upon the cross for you and for me so that we could have a restored relationship with God. But what does the Bible declare about his ultimate purpose? Well, if we look in John chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, we see a glimpse of this purpose that Jesus, of what he came to do. He says this, for from his fullness, this is speaking of Jesus, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus came to make God known for us. So we could discover what God is like and have 
the opportunity to come back into his presence, to know him. So that's his purpose in coming. He came to save us, but he came to save us so that we could have a relationship with God, so we could know him. Ultimately, that is the greatest quest, the greatest adventure in life. And God has given us this beautiful device called prayer to draw us more and more close and intimate to God. Now, if that's true, if what I'm saying is true, then what Jesus prayed should reflect this same purpose, right? If not, I may be wrong. Well, let's look at what Jesus prayed. Turn, if, you're in your, if you have your Bibles there, turn to John chapter 17. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus where he is praying for you and I. What are the kinds of things he prays about for us? Because Jesus knew how to pray, right? I mean, he's God. He knows exactly how to pray. And the disciples, when they see Jesus praying and the time that he spends with the Father, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. So we need to look at his example. Here's what he says in John 17, verses 25 and 26. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love which, which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus prayed that we would know the Father. And in fact, he says that's why he came. That's what he is. That's the work that he came to do and his ongoing work of intercession because the scripture tells us that he lives to make intercession for us. What is Jesus praying for you and I about? That we would continue to know God more and more. He says, I will continue to make it known. He wants us to know him. So therefore, he's illustrating that the purpose of prayer is to know God and to make him known, to have an intimate relationship with him. Now, if that becomes your purpose and my purpose, the primary focus of our prayers, do you think your prayer life will change? I know mine is. It continues to change. Because when that becomes the very center of what I pray about, everything else takes on a whole new dimension and dynamic in my life. Instead of just praying about the aches and the pains or the suffering or the difficulties or trials that I'm experiencing, then I'm able to pray, Lord, how do you want to use this circumstance in my life to help me know you or make you known? See, those are the kind of prayers that Elijah prayed. When it says he prayed and it did not rain for three and a half years. He prayed for adversity for the people of Israel, but he had a very specific purpose in mind. He was not praying to punish them. He was praying so that they would turn and know God. We're going to look at that verse in just a few moments and see it exactly out of the scripture how he declares that is the purpose in his praying. And his purpose in praying that it would rain again to bring him back to refreshment onto the earth was again so that people would know God and their hearts would be turned back. When that becomes the central focus of our life in our prayers, your prayers will become powerful. 
Now, here in this scripture, if we read it in the New American Standard Version, which is very precise in its um, literal translation of the Greek, it says, the effective prayers of a righteous person is powerful as it's working. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I look at my prayer life, it doesn't feel very effective. It feels too often like I'm saying the same things over and over again, and I'm not really connecting. There are times when it feels like it hits the ceiling and that's as far as it goes. I want to have a more effective prayer life. And the first part of that is to change the purpose for which I'm praying. To make the core of everything I pray about those two things. My knowing God more intimately because that will transform who I am. And my making God known because that's the purpose for which I am here now. It's to make him known. So, here's something to grab a hold of. When the prayers of your heart merge into the passion of Jesus' mission, they are unstoppable. They are incredibly powerful. The secret to having a powerful prayer life is not learning phrases or techniques. It is about merging the passion and desire of your heart with the mission of Jesus, which he came to make God known. When that becomes connected in our life, when those two come together, you will see God do amazing, beautiful, powerful things. Because that is his heart. God wants us to know him. And prayer is incredibly powerful. The fourth century Saint John of Antioch, also known as as John Chrysostom, which means golden mouth. I mean, how would you like to have that be your name? Everybody went around calling him John, the guy with the golden mouth. Everything that he says, it just comes out beautiful. That would be really cool. I don't think I'm going to make it there. I might be the slightly rusty bronze mouth. I don't know. But here's what he said about prayer. It's really cool. The power of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the fates of heaven, relieved diseases, dispelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stopped the sun in its course, and held the progress of the thunderbolt. There is in it an all-sufficient, splendorous display, a treasure undiminished, a mine which has never been exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. It is the root, the fountain, the resource of a thousand blessings. God has given us this incredible device called prayer to see heaven come to earth and do amazing things. And his promise is that the effective prayer of those who are in Christ, that's what a righteous person is. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. It doesn't mean that they've attained some level. It means that their righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. That those prayers are powerful when they are working. So my prayer is that God will take these scriptures and transform our prayer life. Because I want to see God do amazing things in this city. I want to see him take 
what is the self-proclaimed atheist capital of the world and let his name be known. Let the hearts of people be turned back. Let the place where the Reformation began before the Reformation in the work of Jan Hus be seen again. It happened because of prayer, because of faithful men and faithful women who prayed diligently that heaven would come to earth and transform the hearts and lives of men. So how do we learn to pray effectively? Well, this passage of Scripture gives us a lot of things, and we're not going to be able to get to a bunch of it. And and I probably won't answer some of the questions that you have about it, but I'm going to try to at least get some of the highlights. Let's back up to verses 14 and 15. His instruction about praying in is if we're if someone is is sick here's the instruction and the word sick literally means in the original language means weak so it's not just disease it means weakness in faith struggling with doubts wrestling feeling incomplete it covers a whole um, array of of weaknesses within our heart and our life if someone is weak let then they come to to the church And they ask for prayers. This is engaging the body of Christ together. And it says, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save that one. Now, here's the parts I want you to grab onto first and foremost. The most important phrases here are praying in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith, because those two go together. Um, They are connected. Now, unfortunately... We often have a poor understanding of what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Because effective prayer seeks the authority of Jesus' name. That's, that is where it gets its power. It's not based on how many words you say or whether you're eloquent with the words that you choose. It means that you're coming in Jesus' name. About a year and a half ago, I, I preached a sermon to you guys. You may remember it, Praying Backwards that our prayers need to begin in Jesus' name, not so much literally, but in, in bringing them into alignment with his will. Because praying in Jesus' name is not a magical phrase that we tack on at the end of a prayer in hopes that it will come true. Praying in Jesus' name means that we are aligning our life to who God is and his mission, his purpose. In the scripture, when it talks about the name of a person, It is the person. God in his word has revealed himself through his names. And when I first wrote this, um, wrote the message out, I listed a whole bunch of the the names of God that are revealed in the scripture. Um, There's different compound words of the word Elohim, which means the almighty one. There's different compound words of the name Yahweh. um, Words like Yahweh Rofi, which means the Lord our healer. And God has revealed himself through his names. And if you want to find out more about that, just send me an email and I'll give you some information on his names that are listed in the scripture. Because he uses those so that we will know his attributes, what he is like. But in the scripture, the name is the person. It's not just a title. Psalm 138 says, I bow down toward your holy temple and I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. God takes his name incredibly seriously. This is why we are are not to take the Lord's name in vain because it is taking his person in vain. 
Now, the purpose of prayer is to know God and to make him known. And, and that's one of the reasons why God has given us throughout the scripture the revelation of his name. So we'll know him and we'll be able to pray the scriptures and draw closer to him. But also the name represents what we can know about him, the knowability of God. I know that's not a real word in English, but it should be, okay? Because he is knowable. God wants us to know him. Exodus 6, verse 3, God himself says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. That's the, the name, Elohim. But, uh, and, but by my name, the Lord. And there he says, Yahweh, I am that I am. I made myself known. He wants us to know who he is, to connect with him. In Psalm 91, verse 14, he says, Because you hold fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him, because he knows my name. God wants us to know who he is. And so when he invites us to pray in his name, he's inviting us to connect with who he is. Ultimately, praying in Jesus' name is, is and I've shared this with you before, it's like a power of attorney. It is God giving us his authority to do his work. Now, it's not God giving us his authority to do what I want. It is God giving us his authority to carry out his purpose and his will. That's why when the prayers of my heart merge into the passionate mission of Jesus Christ, they are unstoppable. Because then I'm able to pray in Jesus' name. I pray in his name not to do my will, but to do his will, not to re represent myself, but to represent him. When that becomes the power source of my prayers, my prayers will be effective. Jesus' mission was to make God known, and that's ours as well, and it has to be the focus of our prayers. Well, he says something else here. Let me just give some commentary on the specifics. He says, if anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheering? Let him sing praise. Cheerful, excuse me. Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. There is instruction, some practice in here about what to do, what to consider doing when you're dealing with a, a very serious illness. And we have seen in this church, we heard a testimony last week, we had sitting down here uh, a couple of years ago, three amazing ladies in our church who were all facing very serious illness. And they read these words and they followed it and asked the Lord to do it. And, and in obedience to the Lord's instruction, we did exactly what it said here. And God was incredibly gracious in answering those prayers and strengthening them. And they are all here. The most dramatic time I have seen God answer this prayer was in my former church in Colorado. There was a man by the name of Charles Bass. Charles was an incredible, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. He had been a chaplain for years in the United States military. Then he was a pastor. Um, and then at, even after he retired, he was one of the elders at our church. And Charles got incredibly ill. 
to the point where the doctors had told he and his wife, Martha, it is time for you to prepare and make arrangements for your funeral because you only have, at best, a few days to live. He was um, bed-bound. He was on um, continual oxygen to try to provide some uh, strength for his body, and he was in hospice care, meaning that medically everything pointed to his death. But he had a great burden in his heart that the Lord still had one thing for him to do. There was one connection he needed to make with an individual who needed to know Christ as Savior and as Lord. He wasn't afraid of death. He was ready to go. But he felt that God was not done with his assignment in and through him. And so Charles, based upon that, followed this and asked us to come to his bedside and to pray for him. He confessed his sins to us openly and humbly. And we prayed and asked the Lord to heal him. And he did. And when he, he was restored, two weeks later, he was in the elder meeting, which was like crazy to me because it's like if anybody had a great excuse to get out of elder meeting, that would have been it. But he came anyway. It was like, what's up with you? Um, but I was glad he was there. It was amazing to see what God had done. And he went and he pursued that task. And shortly after we came here, one of, the, one of the other tasks that God gave him was helping to lead the church in transition as Becky and I came here. And shortly after we came here, of a totally different cause, he went home to be with the Lord. But the Lord healed him. But the purpose of his prayer was not just about him being healed. It was about accomplishing what God had called them to do in pointing people to Jesus Christ. That is the focus of this passage. And if we take that out of it, we will come away with a misunderstanding of what God is saying. It is not just a formula that, oh, if you do A, B, and C, this will happen. Your heart has to be aligned first. So effective prayer requires the right focus. And I'm running out of time, but let me just hit on a couple of points here. Effective prayer also requires community. God designed prayer to be something that draws us together as the body of Christ. That's why he tells us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that you'll be made whole. That's literally what the word means when it says be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Your needs and my needs are designed to be brought together to the Lord where we're, say, we're, we're authentic and open to one another and say, here are the things that I'm struggling with. And we do it, there's a vulnerability that is there, but also there, there has to be on, our, on the part of those that um, someone is coming to, there has to be incredible responsibility of trust. We need to realize it is something holy. It is something incredibly special when someone comes to you and says, here's my struggle, here's my sin, here's my doubts, here's my hurt. We are very blessed in our church to have a team of intercessors that understand the holiness of coming together in prayer, the beauty of coming together in prayer, and the power of coming together in prayer. And so it requires community. That's how God designed to draw us together through those needs, through that praying together. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. 
prayer is powerful. It requires community. It requires authenticity. And ultimately, the point I, I'm really, the whole point of my message is it requires the accurate aim. That's these last two verses. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. That, making God known, extending to others the grace of God that he has extended to us is the ultimate purpose in our prayers. That was the purpose in Elijah's prayers, who's mentioned. Let me show it to you. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, some of you don't know the story of Elijah. Elijah is a, is a great prophet. I encourage you to read in the middle part of the book of 1 Kings, chapter 16, 17, 18, 19, and you'll find out about this amazing, amazing man of God who God used to do incredible things. He used him to defeat 300 prophets of Baal, of a false god. He put a challenge out before them. And the 300 of them, he said, the, the God who answers by fire, he is the God we will worship. And he put a contest against these prophets of this false God. And they came and they were doing all of their different rituals to try to get Baal to answer and to answer by fire and consume a sacrifice. And Elijah, out of faith, instead, he takes the altar and he places there the sacrifice on the altar and then he digs a ditch around it and he fills it with liter after liter after liter of water so that it's, it's, everything is soaked because he's pouring the water on the wood. He's making it as wet as possible. It'd be, it, it'd be so saturated. It'd be like having fire come from heaven in the, the horrible floods that we've seen in, in Asia and having it ignite. But that's exactly what God did in answer to his prayer. He prayed and amazing things happened all through his life. He prayed powerful prayers. And here is the purpose of his prayer. Look at verse 37. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. The purpose of every one of Elijah's powerful prayers was this, that people would know the Lord God. He understood that the adversity that they were going through was an invitation to come and draw near to God, to have their hearts be turned around. That's part of what needs to incorporate into our prayers. We need to walk alongside of those who are struggling and, and show incredible grace and love and tenderness and, and support for them, but also be praying that God will complete his work in the midst of the circumstance so that they'll know him more and that their hearts will be brought back. His purpose in his prayer is the same as what James ends his book with, that ultimately our life mission our prayers are to be lived and prayed in such a way that it draws other people to know God and make him known. If you will allow that to penetrate your prayer life, you will see God do incredible things, powerful things. Dear Heavenly Father,
Thank you for the gift of prayer. Thank you for this device that invites us into your presence. Lord, I for one have to confess that far too often I've used this device, this invitation to come into your presence to just focus on myself, on my wants, my plans, my desires. Lord, that's not a faith. And you say what is not of faith is sin. So I confess it before you and ask that you would turn my heart and teach me to pray effective prayers so that we may see many people come to discover that you are an amazing God who has gone to such extremes so that we can know you and have a relationship with you. Your word says that while we were yet sinners, you sent your son. While we were your enemy, you sent your son out of love to die for us because you desire us so much. Lord, would you make that same heart be manifest in us for others? That desire for others to come to know you become the driving Force and beat of our hearts in prayer. Because, Lord, if that becomes our prayer, you will enable our life to follow it. So change the way we pray because we are expectant that you will do great and mighty things. Lord, we come to you and ask that you would do this in our lives individually and in our lives together as a church. We come in the name that is beautiful, the name that is powerful, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. And we ask, Lord, that you would align our desires to fit into your heart and your purpose and your mission. Thank you for what you're going to do. We pray these things for your honor and that people will know you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.